and welcome to another episode of My Pocket Psych, the podcast all about the psychology of the workplace. I'm Dr. Richard McKinnon. I'm a chartered psychologist and coach. And this episode, we're going to do something a little bit different. Regular listeners will be familiar with the concept of ACT or acceptance and commitment theory. We, we reference it a lot on the podcast because it underpins the coaching work that we do and a, and a lot of the training work too. It's an evidence-based approach to improving well-being and general functioning. So as I said, something different today. We've got another perspective on ACT and I'm joined today by Dr. Matthew Brown, who's a clinical psychologist who uses ACT in his work. So the same principles, the same framework, but applied in a very different context. And of course, context is at the very heart of what we do in ACT. Now, um, Matthew is a clinical psychologist who works at UCLH in London and also in private practice. And I'm going to include links to him in the show notes. You can find out more about him. But before we go any further, I just wanted to warn listeners that this episode contains discussion of difficult topics of significant illness and cancer, because Matthew works um, in uh, the support of people who experience cancer. So it's a difficult conversation, but overall a very uplifting one. And I'm really inspired by the work that Matthew does. So uh, just to let you know, it does talk about those difficult concepts. And uh, if that's particularly difficult or challenging for you or those around you, um, we've plenty of other episodes and don't feel that you need to listen to all of this. That said, thank you for listening to this. And please do get in touch if you have any questions about the work that Matt does uh, or, or act more generally, uh, however it's applied. So I hope you enjoyed this conversation as much as I did. Thanks for listening. Well, Matt, thank you so much for making the time to join me for this conversation today. How are you doing? Yeah, not too bad. Thanks. Thanks for having me join you. Looking forward to the discussion. No, I've been really looking forward to this um, to get another and a different perspective on on what we talk about here but maybe to put that in context if we could start with a little introduction from yourself who you are what you do um uh, your professional focus and so on yeah of course so um so i'm dr matthew brown i'm a consultant clinical psychologist and um i work uh, both in private practice and in the nhs and i spend most of my time actually in the nhs working at University College Hospital London, uh, UCLH for short, uh, where I am the clinical lead for the, psych, um, for the oncology psychology service based in the cancer centre there. Um, I've been working there for seven-ish years, maybe a bit longer, uh, and previously worked in other similar um, areas, working in cancer and in physical health. Uh, in the past and and long way back after my qualification I worked in mental health so uh, in adult mental health services and in, in my private practice I uh, have a kind of small practice one day a week where I provide um, psychological therapy for predominantly people uh, from the LGBTQIA plus community not specific to cancer that's just general sort of uh, mental health concerns from from the LGBT community. Fantastic. So 
a, a bit of breadth to what you do professionally. Um, what first got you into this? What first um, interested you in the clinical side of psychology? Yeah, it's interesting. I um, never actually got, uh, never really started out uh, in thinking about psychology. I initially feel strange now thinking back I initially wanted to be a dentist but um, for one reason or another I didn't get into doing my training as a dentist so I went down the route of psychology and uh, I was very fortunate actually during my psychology degree to get a placement um, with a forensic psychologist in the the first instance and um, spent some time doing forensic psychology and uh, again it it was very interesting but there was just this area of forensic psychology that was a bit lacking for me. I was really curious about people's mental health and within forensic settings, the sort of mental health concerns of, of um, people who are incarcerated is really significant. So I then decided that I'd try to take a more um, sort of focus into, or just kind of take the path down the, the clinical route. So um initially again working in adult mental health really interesting but again i saw increasingly num- a number of patients who or clients that came to see me who had physical concerns and there was just something about the sort of nature of people's uh, psychology when they're going through something that's happening to their body that that interested me so i then moved across into acute physical hospital settings um and again <laughs> sort of narrowing it down further i then became really interested in people who have cancer and who face sort of very um significant uh, diseases that may impact on their quality of life even their life expectancy or maybe facing um death and dying and that again just really spoke to me for some reason and um just got me into the world of what we what we call it psycho oncology um, so yeah, I just sort of found my way. I never really set out thinking that this is exactly what I want to do many years ago. It's just sort of evolved this way through just life experiences with the work that I do. It's very interesting the way you describe that, because when, when I'm asked, why did I train as an occupational psychologist? It's very much a case of work plays such a central uh, role in our lives either we're working or looking for work or the people we live with are working and we know that if we want to work and we can't it's you know has a really negative impact on us i i see echoes in your description that you know our physical well-being is something everyone experiences and threats to that and challenges to that have such an impact on us but also the people around us so these these topics are really core to experiencing life aren't they Oh, absolutely. Um, you know, we we actually, I think what's interesting is we, as sort of human beings, we, we kind of thrive on the seemingly predictable nature of life that we, you know, we can kind of, we, we think we can predict that how the week's going to play out. You know, we predict we're going to get up, we're going to go to work, what that might look like, the things that we might do, and we're going to come home and you know, do whatever we do in the evenings. There's a sense of predictability, but actually sometimes think some you know bad things can happen to us. Unpredictable things can happen that just throw us off course. And you know, there's really nothing more than something that happens to our physical health 
really uh, throw us out of that predictable world into the uncertain, this uncertain world that, that can come from physical health. Yeah, pl- plans are great, aren't they, until the real world uh, intervenes. Yeah. And um, yeah, these are normally sudden things, aren't they? I, I think listeners to this podcast, uh, maybe who've been around for a little while will be used to us talking about um, the workplace and topics at work and they'll be used to me talking about act and psychological flexibility Um, but maybe someone's listening for the very first time and so those words might mean nothing to them you and i both um work with people using a framework with enormous flexibility within it that can be used in lots of different contexts. I, I will work with individuals and teams in workplace settings. Um, you, you're working with people in, in healthcare settings, but the, the principles behind it are, are the same. H- how do you um, explain ACT to your clients? Yeah, it's a, that's a good question. I think um, I very much use ACT and draw on the principles of ACT. So, um, but I, I guess I don't, necessarily explicitly describe it with the people that I see I tend to um sort of use acts to inform the clinical work but I suppose you know ultimately I suppose it's about maybe it comes back to that idea about predictability that um we have this sense that we there's some certainty to life until something happens where we are faced with uncertainty that can sort of make us feel quite stuck, um, bring up lots of difficult emotions that are really normal. You know, the anxiety or the frustration, anger, sadness, whatever it might be, are really absolutely appropriate and normal emotions to come up when we're going through a, a life-changing or um, really shocking event. Um, and sometimes people can get really stuck with those emotions and it gets in the way of people sort of getting on with their day-to-day lives or um seeing the people that are important to them in lives or, or doing the things that are important are important and meaningful to them so the idea behind act and acceptance and commitment work is to help people to um kind of first of all learn about those emotions but also allow them to be there we can't actually get rid of the emotions because they're very important to us it's actually important to feel a bit anxious when we've got something going on in our bodies, we need to be tuned into that and curious about what's, what it is that's happening that's making us feel anxious. But it's about being able to live with that anxiety or that anger and frustration, whatever it might be, but still engage in the stuff that is really important to us and still engage in connections with our closest, nearest and dearest friends, family, colleagues even. And um, So how do we actually enable ourselves to kind of live with those emotions and also do the things that are important. Does that make sense? It it totally does. I really like that description because so many uh, challenges come our way and our thoughts and feelings about those challenges then become the problem to be solved. So we don't take the helpful action until we feel whatever it is we want to feel. But ACT shows us that you can have an emotion and act in a way that's more helpful in the situation that brings you closer to what it is that brings meaning to you. It's it's quite a, a challenging 
uh, perspective to get your head around those sometimes, isn't it? Because because of societal expectations that if I feel one way, then that's the way I have to be because that's humanity. <laughs> that's that's normal, right? And actually, mm. it's about encouraging people to accept that stuff and do the things that bring the meaning. Yeah, and it's it's really interesting the number of times that we get referrals um, to our service where the um, the patient or and or the referrer have said that um, this person is feeling really anxious. They need they want to. Um, they want to get rid of their anxiety and until they get rid of their anxiety they won't be able to move forward with treatment or they can't seem to move on from the experience they've had with cancer or you know there's all these um this expectation or this hope that people are going to get be able to get rid of the emotion but we very much explain that it's about living with the emotion living with uncertainty or living with the thing um and getting on with life you know and going into treatment so it's um it's not an either or it's kind of and (laughs) yeah and that that's tough isn't it because it's not like going to your gp and saying i've got this ailment and the gp gives them a prescription because it's the symptoms that have brought them in and then they get rid of the symptoms act says actually it's not really about symptom reduction at all it's about a focus on what matters and maybe with time the symptoms will go but as soon as you try to control that stuff then that's your focus not a focus on the important stuff in life mm, absolutely yeah we, we we you know it's i think sometimes that initial conversation with with someone when they come to see me or, or one of my team that you know we're not actually going to be able to get rid of this emotion we might be able to help them find ways to manage it of course it's not about sort of um you know there are there are certain things that we can do in order to support people with relaxation and calming and being mindful and ways of kind of perhaps taking some of the the intensity out of an emotion but we can't get rid of it because actually it's a normal part of being a human being in fact it would be really tough if we didn't feel these things when there's major life events. Um, but, you know, we don't need for them to to go, uh, to pass, or to be removed somehow as if we could um, for us to, to crack on with what's actually going to be helpful to us in those situations. We, we, when, I, when I have guests on the podcast and, and when I'm chatting with Pilar every other episode or so, we're, we're talking about people at work and, you know, I'm I'm now thinking about how almost inconsequential it is talking about how do you manage your tasks at work when we're talking about truly the life and death stuff. That's that's really important. How challenging is it to talk about things like values and you know what really matters to people while they're maybe you know in the middle of very very serious uh, medical situation. Um, yeah, it's a good question. I think that sometimes when people are in the midst of their um, treatment, actually, the, the focus has to be on their treatment and, um, you know, just getting through day to day for some people. I mean, not treatment itself isn't um, massive, doesn't have a massive impact for everybody. But uh, generally, the people that, that are referred for specialist psychology support, they are the ones who are they're, they're the people who um, are really, really struggling um and for for valid reasons so i think when people are in the midst of 
something where they're feeling incredibly unwell or their energy levels are incredibly low, then the, the focus tends to be about the treatment. But there are a whole bunch of other people who are going through cancer where they're, the side effects of treatment or symptoms of their cancer are not that, not as, um, you know, not quite as strong or not as significant. Um, so we do spend, I certainly spend a lot of time talking about values and about other parts of life. You know, cancer is just one part of what people's existence is for the people that I see. Uh, you know, we're more than, people are more than their cancer. So we spend a lot of time thinking about other areas of their life. So and that invariably for, for people of working age will be about work and the importance of work for that person. Um, what What is it about work? that um, builds meaning for them or how does it add purpose to their life and you know and also you know thinking financially the mm. importance of work just for um, sort of day-to-day existence and being able to afford things and so so work comes up a lot in conversation for sure and it's particularly for people who are working age and again although cancer tends to be a of old age we we tend we people who struggle more with um their experience of their cancer tend to be those people who are a bit younger where it's a lot more unexpected it's been quite disruptive to to, um, their transitions in life and so so work is a frequent topic i think i went up slightly off course there but um <laughs> no that, that i mean that's that's so interesting to me specifically because as you said at the start it's one of you know we have these nice routines and we predict that things are going to be nice and stable and then something comes along and crashes through all of this and work is just one of those aspects of life that gets knocked out of kilter when we experience a significant illness and you know when we experience a significant life event full stop but i I imagine that when someone really wants to work and either they enjoy their work or it's wanting to work out of necessity an illness as significant as cancer makes that difficult and you know can result in them having lots of thoughts about their future experience of work as well when they want to get back I, i try to encourage people to have conversations with their employer if they can um, about how to make some reasonable adjustments at work if if needed. Not again. This is um, not everybody who has cancer will be significantly affected. It very much depends on the type of cancer people have, the stage of it, and the side effects of any treatment mm. they may be on. So it's it isn't to sort of lump everybody who has cancer into the same um, group. But you know if if people do find that they are finding it a bit more difficult to do the day-to-day um, tasks at work, then I really encourage people to have conversations with their employer about how to make some reasonable adjustments. And they might be temporary um, whilst people are going through or recovering from their um, treatment. Um, but it's just that open communication just can be so invaluable to help their employer to really understand what's needed. And I'm really interested in something you said a moment ago yeah. about you know people being m- more than their cancer, which as soon as you said, of course it makes absolute sense, but 
things can take up an awful lot of space in our identity, in our self-concept. But even if we didn't want them to, other people can view us very differently when we're going through something like this. Is is that something that comes up, um, you know, how people are being viewed because they are uh, dealing with this illness? Oh, for sure. I think, um, you know, the word cancer is laden with so much meaning, either for the individual going through it or those around, so friends or colleagues or family members and so on. So. Um, I always find it really interesting how even the word cancer um, is treated or how it's treated by society. You know, people will often call it the big C. Mm. Um, they don't even want to use the word because it's almost like it's um, there's some power in that word. So again, just thinking about coming back, I suppose, to the, the concept of act. So there's some work that I often do with people about trying to look at the word and try to sort of um, regain a bit of perspective actually that it's just a word obviously it, you know significant I'm not to, to deny people's diagnoses but the word itself can be you know incredibly powerful so we do some diffusion type work to try and separate people's individual experience of cancer from the word cancer itself and those um, the, the sort of meaning or the um, power within that word is, is informed by all sorts of things people's previous life experiences of a family member a friend a teacher even who they've witnessed who've had cancer and that may have been many many years ago when treatments weren't as effective as they are now and so people might have their own beliefs about what cancer would will look like um, often cancer is synonymous with the word death and it's very much now these days not the case more people actually survive or sort of live beyond their cancer than die from it so we're moving away from um cancer being um sort of death sentence almost um but there's also all these other uh, narratives that are out there in society about cancer being um something to fight a battle something that people are at war with that you know, people might have these preconceptions that cancer always means that people are going to lose their hair, or um, so. So I think, or the, or similarly, that people need to be wrapped up in cotton wool while they're going through treatments. So there's all this stuff out there um, that I think can inform both the individual's response, but also other people's um, responses to cancer. So. Um, slightly gone off the track off track there but it's just so important to have that conversation with people and to allow people to see actually what they're going through individually is is much more important than all these preconceptions about what cancer is um yeah so the words are so important aren't they and you, you realize that um when looking at things from an act perspective the the influence our own thoughts and the words we use in those thoughts can have, but also uh, our lived experience up to this point and the stories we carry around about how things are or should be or must be. Um, and, and instead of making external comparisons, as you say, that focus on the individual's experience um, can can help 
people focus on on what matters rather than what might never be um or you know as you say something that's really out of date um a belief that that is probably no longer supported by evidence yeah absolutely and i think it, it sort of building on that as well i see a lot of people who for very understandable reasons i can't say that i would feel any difference you know i just hold my hands up but a lot of people who um have had cancer and then they're living beyond this you know the old term was a survivor of cancer but they can many people probably more people than not struggle with a fear that it's going to come back we call it fear of recurrence um living living with that uncertainty about actually it's going to come back so sometimes people can become again really stuck with this idea that you know i've got to be really careful can't be too far away from home or from the uk or in case this comes back um you know i need to be nearby to get help and that can really just get on in the way of people living their lives because there's this real concern that's going to come back but even even for, for people who are still living with cancer there's fears about progression and you know when is this going to get worse and i see i've got lots of examples in my head i won't use anyone individually but um where people have their their regular scans to see how things are going and you know they might have had two or three scans which show that things are very stable but this kind of the living between scans becomes really difficult because they might often people will say you know that scan i had last month showed everything was stable but what if the next one shows progression and so they're then living with the sort of or projecting a cons- their worry onto the scan in another three months time and 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 not allowing themselves to to live and enjoy their lives until they have their next scan but the same thing happens at the next scan so it's living from scan to scan rather than actually just living in the moment and being very present with actually that scan was was good right how can I, what can i do now what's the, i've got this opportunity to really um kind of embrace my life as much as i can and what and much as is possible um until the next scan <laughs> and at that point i'll face whatever happens but i've got this window of opportunity to kind of really get on with what's important to me and that perspective is um so much more helpful than you know waiting for the other shoe to drop and being eternally vigilant and on edge for something and the the word that's jumping out at me from what you've been describing there is the control that we sometimes try and exert over things that are outside of our control and when they're really outside of our control then it goes into the realm of the mind and we get caught up in thoughts about the thing because we can't control it rather than cracking on with life, as you say, um, where there's an opportunity there. Um, and while this is a, you know, a very serious example of that, we're humans and we so easily get caught up with thoughts about the future. We had a whole episode actually just about, you know, how we tend to deviate from planning into predicting or sometimes really get stuck into what I call playwriting, you know, entire scenarios in the future that just take us away from the present moment where we could be doing something that we really want to do. And I suppose where, you know, in the situation with, with, um, with cancer, a lot of those thoughts about the future are going to be extremely distracting and worrying and have a real potential to drag someone from the present moment. 
Yeah, absolutely. And I think you, 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 what you just said there was incredibly accurate. This, uh, this, you know, when we get caught up on this predicting, it just can stop us in our tracks. Actually, particularly if those predictions are, um, you know, on the, on the negative side or predict something bad is going to happen, um, that in itself can really stop us. And I've, I've been amazed actually. You know, some of the people that I've seen and this example that jumps into my head um who are living with some really you know massive uh changes to their health as a result of their cancer and they're living with cancer and actually there's a lot of uncertainty about the future for them but they're really jumping in and and living their lives i'm just i'm in awe actually with some of the people that i see just how much they can you know how much they tolerate given what they're going through with their health and how much they're able to do living life. Um, you know, I, I can't say that I, I don't know how I would react if I was in their shoes, but I'm always really inspired and impressed by people when they can do, you know, some amazing things, write a, you know, writing books or doing, making albums or um, doing traveling places or, you know, also amazing stuff. To be honest. That is inspiring. Um, do you, you know, when you're working um, with these individuals, do you find that there's a particular element of ACT that really resonates with people? Is there any commonality? You, you see, you know, a light bulb moment um, when you, you do something with them? Yeah, I think um, it's a good, again, another good question, really, because like I said before, I, 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 I'm less explicit about using um, ACT with my patients, although that is definitely the sort of approach that's informing the work I do with them. I suppose the thing that really stands out is um, spending time thinking about values or just thinking about what's important for people. I think that space to sit back and reflect on actually know who's important what's important what's you know some people discover that actually the job they've been doing for 20 30 years actually itself may not be that important for them and and so it gives them this opportunity to sit back and say actually i might need to think about making some changes but yes this the concept around values and having the opportunity to really explore what it is about things that they feel are important to them what it is about that that is important so it might be for example um spending time with family well what's why is that important to them what what aspect of it and it's something about you know being able to be a bit of a role model or uh having that um space to really feel relaxed and that kind of ease not feeling like you have to put a the front on to present yourself in a certain way when you're out and about maybe something about those experiences is really fundamentally important and then and then thinking of people well, how can you get a bit more of that or you know are, are you do you feel that you're getting enough of that and how can you get a bit more or how can you shape your life so that you can spend a bit more time with those people that are really important to you Big life events like um, 
a challenge to our health, do give us an opportunity to take a step back and, and see what's important. But I know not everyone does that. But when you have the opportunity to do that, um, it can really bring clarity and allow you to focus on what matters and worry less about what matters far less. Um, I know so many people had that experience during our recent pandemic, you know, being, being, having to stay at home and not being able to go anywhere and not being able to be in touch with people brought home how important contact was for them or how important um, physical contact was for them. So, you know, these, these challenges to our routines, these challenges to our, our lives as we'd like them to be, give us an opportunity to think about that as as does regret you know if we regret something it's also uh, rather than feeling bad it can give us an opportunity to ask well why do i regret that or not doing that it must be important to me in in some way it, it sounds like that's a, a very useful sort of line of discussion and um exploration um although it can be a challenge as well. We we don't tend to walk around the streets talking about our values, do we? It's it's a topic maybe that's much further down the list after we've done with all the stuff that we're busy doing, you know? Yeah, I suppose that's that's true. And I think again, perhaps um, when people are confronted with uh, life threatening illness, it it can shock people. It can make people really um, sit back and consider what's important to them. So I think perhaps some, perhaps to some extent the work that I do, I'm in a slightly privileged position because of the people that I do see are more likely to be reflecting on what's important to them anyway. So maybe it's not quite so difficult to get there for many for the people that I see. I'm just, I'm just thinking out loud really as I, as I say that. Um, whereas perhaps when people are in their sort of day-to-day you know they haven't got so many health they haven't got health concerns or haven't got things that are really confronting them that perhaps at that point it's a bit harder to really get to those really get to what's what really matters so I think this is something about when you're confronted with something so massive that just kind of forces people into that position to actually reflect on actually what what's important and you're right during the pandemic it was again we were all in this we were all faced with this to some extent mm. To really just think, okay, what what is it that that's important to me? Is is going into the office every day actually really important to me, or is actually spending a bit more time, maybe still working, but a bit more time at home and spending more time connected with nature, perhaps, or uh, whatever it might be. Mm. I, I just have this image. I don't know why, but you know, if if we were together on Tottenham Court Road and we just stopped members of the public and said, you know, what are your values? That could be really challenging for lots of people who are going about yeah. their day, you know, just trying to get stuff done and survive. But actually, it's the big, the big ticket items um, give us pause for thought. Um, although, you know, there are other ways of getting clear on that, obviously, uh, without having to go through a crisis. But it does, it does contribute to it. I think so many of the people I work with aren't going through a crisis, and it is work for them to figure out what matters. And it does take a little bit of time unless something is really threatening one of those aspects of life. Um, it is something. And there's an awful lot of cynicism as well, I think, in organizations where values are talked about, but they're not really lived. 
Um, so mm. talking about values sometimes is unhelpful and maybe just talk, what I do sometimes is just talk about what matters to people, avoid the V word yeah. completely. Yeah, actually that's, and that's absolutely the same for me. Like I said, I don't, ex and I'm not explicitly using act, you know, although I am using it, I'm not, it's maybe unhelpful sometimes to use some of the terminology mm. using whatever works for what's going to be most understood and, and i absolutely will be talking to people actually what's important to you or what what get, do you get most meaning or purpose from or what do you what do you get most pleasure out of actually as well um what brings you a sort of sense of contentment and joy these these are the kinds of words that i would be using you know not that i never say values but it's just that although that's a shorthand perhaps for for you and i and other people who work in this field um you know that's not necessarily the word that other people will use if they're not psychologists or not working in uh, in an act way if they're normal people going about their normal lives normal yeah who are these normal people <laughs> <laughs> what's it like to be normal i don't know anymore uh, <laughs> and it, it is it is the case isn't it that words can get in the way actually and some of these words have you know different meanings depending on who you are and what your lived experience has been so we want to minimize them you know, making life more difficult. But I find it so interesting in talking to you how these same principles when, when applied in different perspectives can have such a, a positive impact, whether I'm sitting down with a client and we're working through their procrastination habit or you're sitting down with someone as they face a significant illness and they want to reconnect with what matters and do more of that in their lives and yet it's underpinned by the same processes the same mechanisms i just i really think that's uh, very very interesting it's, it's the same stuff you know we're all dealing with the same um hardware in our heads <laughs> in, in our bodies it's still we're, we're human we have fundamentally the same sort of processing uh, abilities so it's not surprising then that if people are struggling at work or have or thinking about their work, that some of those same processes are played out in other aspects of life and, and health being one of them. Um, or it might be family or it might be thinking about how do you get the most out of your leisure time or whatever it might be. I think the same processes are at play. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Matt, thank you so much for your time. I could talk about this for ages, and I've no doubt we will, you and I, continue this conversation. But for this episode, in the interest of time, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to draw us uh, to a close. For listeners, um, I will be adding some more information about this topic to the show notes. And if you are a new listener, you're very welcome. And if you're intrigued when you hear us talk about ACT, uh, you can find out a lot more about that on the website. I'll put a link to that um, uh, under the Psychological Flexibility page, and you can find some resources, videos, and episodes of this podcast to learn more about that. And, uh, and I'll, obviously, I'll include Matt's contact details, um, but I would love to hear from you if you found this interesting, challenging to listen to, or you've got follow-up questions. So please drop me an email, uh, podcast at worklifepsych.com. We'll answer that on a future uh, episode. Matt, thank you so much for your time. It was great to chat with you about this. You're welcome. Thanks for having me. I'm really, yeah, like I say, we'll, we'll probably talk a lot more about this um, 
in our own time. But yeah, it's been a real pleasure to, to speak to you today. Oh, you, it's been great. Thank you. And to everyone out there, thank you for listening. Thanks for downloading this episode of My Pocket Psych. To get in touch with questions and feedback, you can tweet us at worklifepsych or leave us a message on the contact form at www.worklifepsych.com contact. Thanks for listening.